story that Jesus tells to us in Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So in this story that Jesus tells, I want you to think about a few things. I want you to kind of answer this question, if you will. What did Lazarus do in this story that is so great to deserve this, this wonderful uh, place at Abraham's side that he received? And what did the rich man do that was so horrible that he was in agony well now specifically of course we we aren't told necessarily too much i mean we can read into some things and we can see about that the rich man could even be stated that even in death 
he still looks at Lazarus as just somebody to just kind of run errands for him, you know, because he's he's looking at Lazarus and and he's just. He's talking about Lazarus and saying, okay, can Lazarus serve me by giving me a little bit of water? Uh, can Lazarus go and tell my, my brothers? You know, that's what he says later. And he never really understands that, that Lazarus was a man who needed help. And the rich man in his life didn't give that help to the one who needed it desperately. And also another kind of interesting thing to note about this, the rich man cared enough or noticed enough that he called Abraham his father, but he didn't care enough to recognize Lazarus as his brother. I mean, it only makes sense that if the rich man is calling out to Abraham and saying, you know, Father Abraham, uh, and then obviously Lazarus is there at the side of Abraham, you know, they're both kind of children of Abraham, so to speak. But yet, the rich man doesn't care enough about Lazarus to recognize him as a brother, as a, as a sibling. Well, how many times can that be stated of us? Let's take a look at another passage together. In the passage of 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 6 through 19, um, most of the chapter, and we're going to see some of the statements that Paul kind of tells Timothy. And we're going to work our way through the text together and, and notice um, what Timothy is, ta is told um, how to minister uh, to these people here at Ephesus that he is, is ministering to. Uh, now, already in the first five verses and all, uh, what we see that, that Paul is addressing is that some people have kind of uh, missed the mark in some of these things whenever it comes to, to godliness and the purpose of godliness. So in the first five verses of this, I'm not going to read you know everything, but I do want to kind of just summarize just a little bit. One of the last things that Paul states to Timothy about these people that Timothy is told to address is he says that uh, that these people in verse 5, that they have been robbed of the truth and, and who think that godliness is a means of to financial gain. So it's to that type of people that Timothy is told to say these, these following things. And I think that in many cases, um, th these words are, are words that we desperately need to hear, you know, right here and right now and understand the same things that Timothy was told to address the church at Ephesus are things that the church needs to address as well today. So let's take a look at these together. Verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we had food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and, and a trap uh, and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So in this passage, we see this idea of being content. So that's what we're going to look at first is being content. If you want to know what this looks like, uh, take a look at the book of Job. And, and I think that the book of Job kind of teaches us a lot about this contentment, about our, our look in life and kind of the point of it, the purpose of it uh, in all. Because one of the things that Timothy is told uh, to proclaim to these people is that godliness, whenever you combine that with contentment and being content, it has great gain in and of itself. And what it means to be content is given us in verse 8. Because he says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 
It's kind of the same concept that Paul says elsewhere whenever he says in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He is stating that he has learned to be content in whatever state that he might find himself to be in. That is a lesson that is so powerful, so important for us to learn. And we can learn that from many different characters throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want you to think, what about that story that we looked at, the rich man and Lazarus, whenever you combine it with this contentment right here? Because in that rich man, you see that, that uh, he went after a lot of these other things. There's a reason why the statement in verse 10 that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil is it's quoted a lot because it is a sad truth that many people have done all types of evil things because they love money. And it has very little to do with the, you know, the physical dollar bills or anything like that. It has to do with what the money represents. It represents that power. It represents those, those things, those possessions. That's the love of money that we're talking about. So what we are called to be is people who are content with having food and having clothing, our basic needs being met. That should be our moment of being content. Now, of course, that's easier said than done because, I mean, all of us, myself included, we, we have this, this thing that, you know, we kind of, we kind of want more in, in different ways. And the way that I might want more could be very different than the way that you want more. But whatever it is, can we learn to be content? Because whenever we can combine our godliness with our contentment, then great things can come to us. The people who are always trying to get more and always trying to kind of one-up um, everything here, in verse 10, it says that they have wandered from the face, faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. I hope that that will not be said of us. And we can avoid that if we can learn to be content in this life. So we see at first the need to be content. Now the next thing that we see is this confession that needs to be made. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, we read about this confession that is mentioned. Now, I'm not talking about the confession of sins, uh, though that most certainly is important. This is a different type of confession. This type of confession is something that we will, we will see this definition of uh, even whenever we look at this. This is a confession of who Jesus is. Verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life with which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to every everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. In this passage, we see this wonderful truth that is, that is being proclaimed right here, that is being confessed. This confession is, who is Jesus? I want you to think about that. Okay, we've seen that the need to be content. Okay, now we're looking at this confession, this confession of faith. The confession of faith is, who is Jesus? You know, we get a little bit of, of a, a glimpse into what this confession is, which, by the way, spoiler alert, you go to verse uh, 15 right here, and this is the confession uh, about God and about uh, Christ. It says, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. When you can confess that Jesus Christ is the only ruler, 
you know, that means that, that ultimately, yes, there might be a president or there might be a king or, you know, whatever, depending on the different, uh, different governing authorities uh, where you might live. There might be some type of governing authority that is in existence. Yes, okay, there, there, there should be. There, there always should be that governing authority. But ultimately, there is one ultimate ruler. That is the one who is Lord of Lords, the one who is King of Kings. That is Jesus Christ himself. Because you get a glimpse into this in verse 13. Because we see that um, it says that Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession... What good confession are we talking about? Well, if you go to John chapter 18, I believe we see the glimpse of that in verses 33 through 37. It's a conversation that Pilate has with Jesus right there before Pilate is you know, about to condemn Jesus. Part of that conversation goes like this. John 18, 33 through, uh, uh, 33 through 37. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You said that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's the good confession that was made before Pontius Pilate. And that is that Jesus Christ is the one ruler, the one ultimate ruler. Jesus Christ is the one who is king above all kings. He is the Lord above all lords. It doesn't matter, you know, who you might directly have to answer to. Everybody ultimately answers to our God. They answer to our King of Kings, that is Jesus Christ. And whenever we learn to confess that, that is so powerful. That is so important. That is our confession of faith, that we are servants of King Jesus. And now finally, we see that there is a command that is given. Timothy is told to command some things. Uh, what do you think he might be told to command? We saw contentment, then we saw confession, now we see this command. Verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Powerful message. What, what Timothy is told to command, I believe, are still things that we need to be commanding of Christians today. And that is found in verse 17, that we are commanded to have our hope in God. Not wealth, not, not anyone or anything else other than God. Our hope is in God. It always has to be. Another thing in verse 18 uh, that is a command is a command to do good. Think about that. To do good. How important that is. To be rich in good deeds. Not rich in money. Rich in good deeds. That's going to be far uh, more valuable to you, uh, both in this life and the life that is to come. Because in verse 19, he speaks about laying up for treasure 
um, for yourselves. And he mentions that as a firm foundation. I want you to think about it. How much time and effort do you put forth in order to lay a foundation for the coming age? If we can be the type of people that are described right here, this is a command, a command to have our hope in God, a command to be rich in good deeds. If we can be that type of a community, then we are laying a firm foundation for the coming age. And I love the final phrase right there. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Is that the type of life that you want? It's the type of life that God wants for you. But that type of life only comes whenever we can learn to be content with the things that God gives us. That type of life only comes to us whenever we confess Jesus Christ as our King of Kings and that He is the only ruler. And that if we are the type of people who command this of ourselves and command this of other Christians, that our hope is in God, God will take care of us. We are called to be rich in good deeds, to lay this firm foundation and to take hold of the life that is truly life. Have you done that today? God wants you to. I want you to. We need to want it for ourselves, that we will take hold of the life that is truly life. The choice is yours to make. Your word I must hide in my heart, in my heart. Your word I must hide in my heart, in my heart. Your word I must hide in my heart. Your word gives me joy in my heart, in my heart. Your word gives me joy in my heart, in my heart. Your word gives me joy in my heart. Your word gives me peace in my heart. Your word gives me peace in my heart. Your word gives me peace in my heart. Your word gives me hope in my heart. Your word gives me hope in my heart. Your word gives me hope in my heart. Your word I must hide in my heart. Your word I must hide in my heart. Your word I must hide.